Right. Hey guys. Uh, so this is my coach Jagger. Uh, he is my powerlifting sensei. I've been working with him for one year. Our one year anniversary is actually today. I believe is it the twenty sixth? Yeah. This is our one year anniversary from when he sent me oh, my first program. I still have that first program <laughs> hanging on the wall. Yeah, it's, it is right there. I'm not going to show it because I have a shrine to Jagger. You guys can't see. He is well known for his um. He could ties up his his hair in this bun when he, when he deadlifts and grants him magical powers. Power scrap. Um, right. But a little bit about Jagger. Uh, so he has his bachelor's degree in exercise physiology from the University of Central Missouri. He had an experience, was it for one summer, uh, with, with Juggernaut Training System, where he interned under Chad Wesley Smith, who is one of the best powerlifting um, coaches slash, what would you call him? It's just sensei, like four-cycle level. <laughs> yeah. um, he has experience of doing jujitsu, uh, scientific training association. Um, don't you have your college training and conditioning, your NC? SM or something? I don't. No, 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 I don't. No, okay, well, he, has, he, has, and all that. he has books. Pancho <laughs> books. Okay, uh, and then he has several uh, powerlifters to national championships, international elite and elite powerlifters, world record holders, national record holders, and state record holders. Um, it has four years of coaching experience. Has lived with uh, Jared Feather for two semesters in college, who is uh, the head prep consultant. Shout out Jared. Uh, dude's looking insane right now. 230 with like lean stride, like it's scary. Um, and he's also once ate 72 pieces of sushi in one sitting, which he says he's not sure if he should be proud of or not. You know, some people have done better, but at the time it was a big feat. We're very proud. Yeah. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add about yourself? I mean, that uh, sums it up as far as my qualifications and experiences go. Um, I myself been powerlifting for many years. Uh, national champ one year, silver medalist another year. I mean, you know, talk the talk, walk the walk. So, been there, done that. So I guess I think it's always kind of interesting to see um, why somebody started doing powerlifting and whatnot. Um, so for, for Jagger, what, what got you into powerlifting? Well, in college, I first heard about powerlifting and my buddy Logan signed up for a meet and uh, I showed up uh, just to watch him. And then like the meet director needed some people to do some like loading. And so I helped with that and I felt like I was part of it and it was a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, like going to college with Jared and then a bunch of my other friends, they're all bodybuilders and I just never was really interested in bodybuilding. And then, um, they did the powerlifting meet and I signed up for one shortly after that. I just jumped right in, did it. And it was a great time. Started taking it real serious. And then I just felt like I was uh, able to compete, um, in something as well. Like my other friends were also competing like bodybuilding. So. I felt included in some way, working for something, having a goal. Did you so have enough like background growing up? No, no, like powerlifting. I wrestled in high school, and that's kind of when I first started, you know, lifting weights. With, um, intention of 
getting strong and jacked and scary looking. So emphasis on scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the real scary weighing 160 pounds, I mean, six foot tall. Oh man. Going off of that, that's actually, that's actually a good, a good, good segue. Um, so something that you, you hear a lot, um, is that you need to have a strength base or something. And I, with, um, lots of strength coaches. Um, and I think that that is, a, that's, yeah, that's good advice. And it's also bad advice. Um, because as many of my following have heard me say, hypertrophy muscle size is foundational for basically every single characteristic of athleticism. So Jagger, with that being said, how important is a hypertrophy base for strength? And would you actually, how would you place, if you had a beginning power lifter or somebody who is in their early year years of training, how much of time should they spend actually getting bigger muscles um, and how much time should they spend doing a strength block specifically? Well, beginners with little to no experience in, you know, lifting weights, exercising, sports, they should spend a considerable amount of the time building muscle because end of the day, the muscle is going to lift the weights. But I mean, I'll give you two answers on the importance of having um, a lot of muscle mass. So part of me wants to say not that important. It's just not. There's a lot of lifters who are just not really jacked but are strong as shit. And then there's, you know, but then, like, I also want to say, like, it's extremely important because the most jacked guys are also strong as shit. So for most people, you want to have a lot of muscle to be strong. But there are those freaks of nature who are, you know, not carrying a lot of muscle mass who are super strong. So I'm going to say you want to have a lot of muscle mass, not only because you'll just increase your potential for strength, but you also look cool as shit doing it. So when I say, you know, your potential for strength, someone who's like 250 pounds and just yoked out of their mind, just tons of muscle. Cade Proctor. Yeah. Like K just, super jack like he has to walk sideways through doors yeah and double xl shirt is just tight as shit on his arms you know you spend some time just working on strength like you can just get infinitely strong it would seem or someone who's maybe like 200 pounds you know like same height as him you know same frame but 200 pounds um, if he just spends time working on strength, he's probably just not going to be as strong because he just doesn't have as much muscle mass. So he just doesn't have that capacity to lift the heavy weights. Yeah, I can, I can speak from personal experience. Um, and I, I know, I know that anecdote isn't like science, science, but like it still holds a lot of merit, especially with limited um, evidence. Um, Prior to, to being coached by Jagger, I spent a lot of my time doing um, a lot of strength work and I did gain weight. Um, I went from like 135 pounds to like 100, uh, 
like 70, 175. Um, and obviously because I did build out the muscle, um, it was, I did gain strength. Um, however, I've noticed that for myself, as I focus more on hypertrophy, I think that there's a, more other things that you learn a lot from hypertrophy training that you just won't learn from, from strength, such as how to alter technique and really focus a little bit more on that for different outcomes and how, um, I guess how important it is and I guess how your body does re respond to different rep ranges and whatnot, because, um, for my, like, kind of like what, what you said, and we can look at this around, um, the whole entire list. We can look at, there's a lot of guys like a Jagger said that are really strong and that aren't like super, super muscular, like max chewing. However, if you look at like all the really, really good guys in their class, um, and like, the, like the top, the guys that go to worlds, they're all freaking jacked. Like they fill out their, their weight class. They have to water cut down to, to get to, to do their weight because they're just so muscular. Um, so I think that for most power lifters, if you don't spend time actually gaining weight and trying to really set, to take a step back from constantly trying to always hit, num hit numbers, and take some time to focus on hypertrophy. There are other benefits of that. Um, I know. So, just speaking for my myself, um, in the past year that Jagger and I have worked to, worked together, I think we've done maybe four strength mesocycles. The rest of it has mainly just just been hypertrophy and like a, and like a little peak. Um, so, I guess. Um, Going off of, I guess, because we, we've kind of talked about splitting it, it up. Um, Jagger, I know there's a lot of different ways to, to, to program, but w what would you say is beneficial about phase potentiation and block periodized approaches to powerlifting as opposed to like a DUP wave loading strategy? Mm -hmm. So with block periodization, that's essentially meaning your phases are broken up into several weeks sometimes months at a time whereas dub is it can change like within a session or day to day and with block periodization i feel like there's more um like it's thinking more long term and it's focusing on you know making progress for years to come whereas uh dub i could be more of like a um like a peak would be better for like peaking, but, um, you know, using block periodization, um, that's what I use for like 99% of all my programs. Um, that's essentially just building off of each phase. So hypertrophy phases and then into strengths and then into peaks. Um, some, most of the time it's like for the off seasons, it's going to be hypertrophy strength, hypertrophy, um, doing more hypertrophy than strength, um, depending on the athlete. But, you know, I feel like dup gets a, a bad rap, but I don't, I mean, dup is kind of sexy in the fact that it's like fun because it changes all the time where the block can be monotonous and you're just doing the same things for months and, you know, that can burn people out. So you got to do what's, you know, what's fun to you. But if you want the best results, I mean, you're going to like best results for years to come. You're going to pick that monotonous block periodization and 
uh, the same thing for months and, you know, getting better at that and then switching it up. I think a good analogy of um, why I think block periodization should be applied to, to powerlifting. Like my, I have done the, the DUP approach. I made, I made gains. I made yeah. gains. It, it works. For, it, it, um, however, I made better progress with specific areas when I have focused on that one quality. I think it's similar to an athlete who is playing baseball or football or whatever that you don't see them, you know, when they're in their actual season, they're not doing a ton of weights, a ton of conditioning. They're doing a lot of really, really specific competition work. Um, and the off season is a lot of, you know, okay, let's get bigger, let's get stronger. Let's work on our skills. Um, instead of just like game prep and whatnot. And I think it's a similar approach to, uh, powerlifting periodization, uh, in, in particular has a lot of big benefits in that way. Um, because I've spoke, I can speak from experience. I think that while you said that it is kind of sexy and like, you can kind of do everything like all at once, having the pressure to kind of come in every single week. And you're just like, I have to hit this single. It has to be heavier than last time. <laughs> Hopefully like the psychological pressure of having to hit a number is huge. And anybody who's competed especially knows that. Like, I remember for my third deadlift attempt, like, I was, like, I was pretty confident based off of, like, how well, like, the first two attempts went. But I was there for, like, since 8 a.m. I was tired. I wanted to go home. And, like, I had a lot of pressure because I was, like, I know I needed, I needed to hit that and um, in order for, what you know, the elite total that I, I want. Um, and the psychological fatigue after that lift, like I, I hit it. And then like, basically I was just like, <laughs> weeks. I was just dead. Um, and I think that if you come into to the gym and you constantly have that mindset of, Oh, I have to like always hit these, these numbers can be, be kind of hard. Um, and, um, going, going off, off of that with hypertrophy and strength phases, how would you recommend, um, cause this is something I get asked a lot. How would you, you recommend, um, I guess, judging how successful a phase was for hypertrophy versus strength versus a peak? Like what performance markers would you, would you look for mm -hmm. or should you be looking for? All right. So in hypertrophy, I'm mainly looking at um, the gain in their body weight or the loss in their body weight. If they're trying to lose weight or gain weight, build muscle or lose fat, I'm looking at uh, the trends in their body weight not too concerned about um the numbers they're hitting i know you know those will come like if you're lifting weights i mean those will come and then with strength um like strength phases um that can be tricky because from like beginning of the phase to the end of the phase sometimes you'll see like rep prs and stuff but you really i mean i'm you're not, i'm not testing like their maxes when they start and then testing again when they finish I'm um, I'm just looking for them to progressively overload each week and then taking their numbers that they hit in that mesocycle and then going back to like their previous um, strength phase that they did maybe like four months ago and seeing if that went up or how much it went up. And then with peaks, um, I'm kind of looking based off the previous phase of the strength phase, making sure that those numbers are going up and also comparing you know what they hit in that peak to um, like previous peaks or what they did if they're coming off a of meet and they're preparing for another meet 
you know, the numbers they hit compared to um, what they did in that previous meet in the peak. So hypertrophy, I'm looking at body weight and then strength phases and peaks. I'm looking at what they've done previously to make sure those numbers are still going up. Okay. Um, and how would you, um, something that you said to, to me in my peaking phase and something that I, um, on my, like your, your email that you sent me, my, my program was no grinders, maybe mini grinders. Yeah. And I think that developed, that's a lot of maturity. That's, and that's tough sometimes to be like, like you're doing one rep, like for, like, for, like, for example, you know, I messed up in my peak. I went for a second rep when I shouldn't have, um, mm -hmm. how do you know when to back off and adjust and how you develop that skill to, because I think that sometimes chasing numbers, although it is important to see those numbers go up over time, obviously fatigue is going to be a confounding variable. Um, yeah. which I am assuming is again, why you're saying I'm looking mainly at body weight changes and hypertrophy because fatigue is going to be up here relative to performance because that's just how hypertrophy works. Um, fatigue is independent. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's an independent stimulus of um, hypertrophy. Correct with like different metabolic byproducts and stuff. Yeah. So, what was I saying? <laughs> when to back off in a P. Yeah. So like like like, I guess how do you learn how to use your your RPE and stick to it and develop that that trust and lack of ego especially in the gym when you're like oh man i want to hit this this number but it's just not there yeah it's tough man you know people set expectations of themselves and they get attached to numbers big time specifically like that you know 500 600 700 those like hard numbers that just take you to that next you know 100 it's tough like you it takes a lot of maturity and, you know, putting your ego aside, but, um, man, it's tough because even I had trouble with that too. But I mean, you just gotta know that what you hit in training, I mean, really doesn't matter. I mean, a lot of people want to do it for the gram, but what you hit in the competition is what matters. And so the way I, try to um, influence my athletes is just let them know that you know lifts can be hard but they're not your true one rep max that's for the platform you're training and you're preparing for that day and so you know you can like have that goal of like all right i want to hit you know 675 or 545 get those that's the sexy plates you know looking nice but with kilos it, that, that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah yeah if it's, you know, too. yeah you want all reds if it's kilo plates yeah but um i mean you sometimes you just gotta suck it up and you gotta load you know 540 or you gotta load you know 595 so i mean that's tough, but I mean, I was telling you know, don't be afraid to use the change plates, the little tiny little uh, little donuts I like to call them. So it's it's tough, man. You just gotta suck it up and not go all out when it's time to lift heavy. Got to know what you're capable of. Yeah, I think that's something that um I'm a shoot um 
he's a he's one of the UK A three KG guys. Um, you know who I've been talking about? He's like been up there with, with Russell or, or or he. He said something about um, Brett Gibbs. He okay. he said you should never like don't lift a weight that you haven't earned. Yeah. And if well, I guess what that kind of means for 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 me is. If you come into a training session and like you you are not there, you just don't have that for whatever reason. Like backing off is is okay because RPE and relative intensity is ultimately what 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 counts and is going to lead to um, long term progress. Because unfortunately, and as much as we want with like everything, like ideally, if we were in like in the like, these all like these perfect hyperbolic time chambers. Progress would just be super linear with like everything, with body weight gain, body weight loss, with strength gain, with muscle gain. Unfortunately, it's just not like that. Um, yeah. And I think that learning how to play the long game is something that's super, super important for anybody who wants to be really, really amazing. And this is something that I, you know, I've noticed with all the best athletes is they just have that long-term perspective. And they understand that one training session isn't going to make me and isn't going to, to, to break me. And what matters is, am I setting myself up for long-term progress? That week one of training, the RPE six or seven, it's going to feel relatively easy because it's supposed to feel that because you're setting yourself up for success. Mm -hmm. um, how would you go about, if, you're, if you had an, an athlete who was struggling with that long-term perspective, because that's something that a lot of novice powerlifters do struggle with, um, especially with comparing themselves to all these guys that are up here and they want to be up there so bad and they feel like, oh, I got to force my progress. Yeah. Yeah. Now you got to remind them that, you know, that athlete that they look up to who's like just world-class, you know, they've been lifting weights since they were seven years old. You know, they've been playing the long game. They might be, you know, like 22 and just, insanely strong well they've probably been lifting since they were like seven years old and plus you know tons of other things but you know it's tough to convince someone to you know think long term and make that investment of just putting in work you know every day for years and telling them you know it will it will pay off and it's hard to convince someone of that but I mean, you want to keep their expectations realistic and just, you know, set small goals and make, it's really like psychology. You want to set the small goals and um, make sure they achieve those goals, like, you know, time and time again, um, from a coach's perspective, you know, you got to be encouraging and rewarding, but oh, man, this is like some sports psychology. No, it's, 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 it's a tough question. It's, like, it's, it's something that it's something that I feel like it's like powerlifters just really, really do deal with. Like anybody who has like a performance, like Olympic weightlifters, strongman powerlifters, it's, it's really all about that because you know, it's numbers, it's a numbers game, yeah. a numbers sport. Um, usually what I found is that I, I as a, as a coach, it's creating one trust with, with your, with your client that the plan will work and that it will pan out. And that's why I think it's so important to not base your programming off of, well, this, this guy does this 
Therefore, I'm going to do what that person did right now. Something that Chad, Wesley Smith, and Mike Israel said is, you shouldn't have that mindset. You should, you should think, what did they do to get to that, to that point? And take the principles from, from that. So yeah. how would you, important would you say it is to follow an evidence-based program? one that's founded upon science and understanding principles of science, like exercise. That's huge. There's so many, because you'll hear so many times, just, just, just lift weights, bro. Just, just, just come and grind hard, brother. You'll get there. That yep. works well as, as a beginner because anything works, but it just, that doesn't work for long term. Yeah. So what's, so what's the importance of have, having a coach and, understanding training from a scientific perspective you know yeah so science is the truth man it's something that's you know been done time and time again so there's i don't want to say for certain it's going to work but you know with a great degree of certainty it's going to work and so having a coach that knows you know the principles and the science and has, you know, shown through clients, even through themselves that they know what they're doing and how to take those concepts and implement them into individuals. I mean, that's, it's super important, especially for when you get to like the intermediate and advanced stages where, you know, smaller details matter much more. Whereas, you know, with, um, a beginner doing leg press versus belt squat. I mean, doesn't really matter, but when you get to an advanced level, like those things matter. So it's kind of knowing and knowing and having trust in um, a coach that can make those decisions for you. How would you go about choosing a coach and know that they are actually like, legitimate because that's a big question a lot of people do do have and i, I think that's totally valid um like for, for example i hired you because jared said hire jagger and i said <laughs> i'll do whatever you say <laughs> <laughs> yeah so choosing a coach that can be tricky because a lot of times you want to pick the coach who's you know coaching the best athletes right that can be a mistake because those the best athletes may not have had that coach on their come up or they are just so like genetically gifted that they could literally do anything and just get even better um i think choosing a coach that one has like a foundational you know education is pretty important and then also a coach that has brought people up from like down here and brought them up here. So I like seeing like when people say like they took this athlete and they added like over two years, they added like 800 pounds to their total. That's freaking insane. Or like when they take an advanced athlete and they bring it like over a year, they bring up their total by like a hundred pounds. That's pretty dang good. So I think seeing like, a coach's track record of what they've done to help other other um, athletes and then also you know what their education is so 
talk the talk and walk the walk, really. I think another underrated thing is um, sometimes a coach might be really, really good, and they might have all those things. But if you just can't gel with them, if you, if you don't have, have, a, have yeah. a good vibe, there's no reason to work with that person. Totally. You find somebody else. Um, totally. And going off of what Jagger said, I had past powerlifting coaches, um, like one right before you, who he was a good coach, but I just did not gel with him. I just, just, I just did not gel with him. I didn't make very great progress because I didn't trust him. I wasn't really enjoying my training because I didn't really, I felt like whenever, whenever I talked to him, it was like, it would either be like this half-assed response or just like, that sucked, do it again. Like, and I'm like, well, what do I fix? And yeah. nothing is just like, just do it better. And I'm like, okay, Max Ada. But Max would actually like give you like, if he, yeah. if he says like, that was bad, it's because just do it better because you're advanced and you know what that means. Yeah. Um, so looking around for, so, so basically look around for people that have really like actual legitimate qualifications, a baseline level of education, understanding of physiology and anatomy. Um, and then what their track record is of how consistently they're able to deliver results. Yeah. Because uh, I think that you'll have every single, you'll have some coaches that just have like their one magical unicorn. Yep. Uh, and that's cool. But if you can have tons of athletes or tons of clients who achieve progress, that coach probably knows more or less of what they're doing. Um, all right. So we got that out, out of the way. Earlier, you were talking about testing um, and how you said that it only really matters on the platform. That's a hard sell for a lot of guys. And I especially, when I first came to you, I was in the, I was in the camp of, I feel really good today. I'm going to max and test um, for the gram. Um, and also, it's just a very objective way of measuring the most specific benchmarker of, am I getting better as a power lifter? Is your one rep max going up? How often should you test a max as a power lifter? Um, when would you decide to do that in training, if at, at all? And how would you best prepare for a max? Okay. And what's your opinion on, I feel really good. <laughs> I'm sorry. And what's your opinion on, I feel really good today. So I'm going to go for it. All right. So if you're a serious power lifter and you compete and you plan on competing multiple times, you know, in a year or throughout, um, your career then you truly test your one rep max on the platform um that's not to say you don't you know kind of push the limits in training but you definitely save some in training and you put it all on the platform because that's really where it matters you know when you're going for records there's no gym records that like when people put in their bio i just i just kind of chuckle at it you know, their best lifts in the gym. It's like, I don't really give a shit. Yeah. Don't care at all. I care what anybody who has competed will know why we don't really give a shit. Yeah. I only care what you did when you had to squat and bench before that insane deadlift. Yeah, be there for like four, six, eight hours. Yeah. I want to know that you weighed in. I want to know that your meat day diet was strictly gummy worms. I want to know that there were... <laughs> I want to know that there were three judges. Really, watching. Like, they're just like snorting the gummy worms, like before their bench, thinking that's going to hit their bloodstream. Like, that's all placebo, man. That's all I would eat on a meat day is gummy worms. Really? 
caffeine pills. Side note, it was so funny. I would like see like these powerlifters like slam like all these like high fat foods like at my meat. I was like, dog, a rice krispie treat. So much better for you. Like you, it's going to get your bloodstream anyways. That's a side tangent. We'll get to, we'll get to, to nutrition for, for powerlifters, but yeah, I know I got you just train of thought. I apologize. I got but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So testing one at max meat day. If I think you know a time like when you would do what they like a mock meat, maybe like. I guess when COVID strikes again and everything's a lockdown, competitions are canceled, you're already like super deep into a prep. You got like two weeks before the competition. I mean, I guess like, I guess you can do that. I mean, you've already come that far just to like test, do a mock meet, have fun or whatever. But I mean, really what happens on the platform is what matters. That's like the records, you know, that's what, you know, gets, written down and saved in an archive um yeah what else what else for some of the questions about that um i guess going so we, we've, we've established if you're actually competing in powerlifting mm -hmm. only truly test your max on a meet day yes um how often should you com compete then in that case, as a power lifter, okay. longevity in the sport. Because something you'll see a lot is guys will, will start off and they'll compete just super frequently and then they're just burnt out. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're advanced, I think you should compete, you know, more often. If you're a beginner, I think you should spend more time training and getting, like, stronger and more muscular. Whereas, you know, an advanced person can compete, you know, four or five times a year. And I mean, they're basically just doing strength, peak, strength, peak, which I mean, is fine really for an advanced person who already has that foundation of um, a, a muscular base and they want to stay in their weight class and they're fine with their body fat percentage and they're just really strong. And I think that's something else going on, going off of that too. A lot of people that don't understand, um, when they hear a peak or I'm probably for a meet, they need to understand that. And this is something that a, a Chad does a really great job of um, articulating. When you're peaking, you're not getting any better. You're just expressing how much better you got when you were, when you were training. So when you decide to compete, you're basically saying, okay, I'm going to trade off me getting, getting better so I can perform the best on this one day. Yeah. Yeah. The way I kind of describe it is you just kind of get, better like more skilled at lifting maximal weight you don't necessarily increase that maximal weight but you just get more skilled at doing it because there is a difference when you're i mean squatting just a barbell and then squatting 800 pounds like it's different it takes skill to have 800 pounds on your back and squat it more than just strength it takes skill to be able to walk that out balance focus and hit the lift so, I mean, it's, it's a skill too, beyond just brute strength. Huh? What well, uh, heavy single? Like, like, would you ever uh, program in a heavy single for? Yeah, powerlifters. I program heavy singles in peaking phases. I sometimes like 
I would like to um, kind of have some of my athletes as guinea pigs. I'm not telling who, but sometimes I'll test out new things like programming a heavy single and like their strength phase. They're heavy single, then they back down and do their, you know, their volume work sets of fives, sixes, whatever. Um, I found, I mean, it's fun and sexy. It's more like an Instagram lift, but I don't, I don't, I never really thought it to be um, advantageous. It's just, it's really just a fun Plus, thing. It's really do. hard to, especially if you feel good, to oh. stick to a submaximal single. Oh, yeah. Because you're like, uh, I could, I could have something, and then you're going to go up and, and reach for it. I think that Jagger uh, has done a really good job of saying there's a difference between training to be a good athlete and training to just be, be cool on, on Instagram. Yeah. And if you're really interested in being, you know, being in an athlete and being the best that you possibly can, you're going to have that long-term mindset. You're going to trust a program. You're probably going to have a coach who knows more than you, or at least is that guiding, um, that compass. Um, lots of people will ask me, but like, you know, Adam, like you're, like you're decently smart and you seem to know what you're doing. Why do you have a coach? My answer to that is because I know my personality. Um, I need to be told what to do in order for me to do it by somebody else. Plus, I've always been an athlete, so I understand yeah. why coaching is important. Because you can do it on your own, but the art of self-coaching is freaking tough, dude. Like, Steffi Cohen doesn't program for, for herself. Russell Orhey doesn't program for himself. And these guys are all elite athletes who are smart and could do it, but they choose not to because having somebody there to be an objective viewpoint and objective data and say, like, I'm not going to give myself freaking walking lunges. I don't like walking lunges. Jagger's going to give me walking lunges because he's going to say it's going to make, make you better. Um, and that's something that a lot of guys need. They need that kick in, in, in the butt. Uh, with, with, with coaching. So if you want to be the best athlete that you, you, you can, trust your, your process, get help. Don't be ashamed with, with getting help when it, when it is needed. Um, yeah. So I wanted to briefly touch on um, nutrition as a power lifter. Um, <laughs> How would you recommend most powerlifters manage their new nutrition in different phases of training? So how should they eat in hypertrophy based on their goal, strength, peaking? Um, yeah, let's just go from, from there. That's, that's, that's pretty broad. Let's see where yeah. it goes. So I think like you follow just some simple, you know, guidelines at first. And that's going to go a long way. And probably like one of the most important is having protein with every meal. And then second, putting your carbohydrates around your training. Train in the morning, eat carbs in the morning time. Train at night, eat carbs in the night time. Um, you can still eat carbs throughout the day or whatever, but just kind of have that general guideline and do it that what you will but with hypertrophy phases if your goal is to get more muscular you got to eat more so you gotta 
make sure the scale weight is going up. And if it's not, you got to eat more. And if you are eating a lot, the scale weight is consistently staying the same, not going up, not going up enough. You got to eat more. I'm, I'm eating so much. Like I just can't eat more. You got to eat more. If you're trying to lose weight, you got to eat less. If the scale weight is not going down, you got to eat less. Now it gets to a point where it's like, I'm eating 300 calories. <laughs> so, like, all right, well, let's just forget everything. My nerves don't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> let's all right, just take a break. We'll take a week off of dieting, eat, enjoy your life. Just relax. But, um, you know, in strength phases, I say there right, means exactly. how much of a surplus and how much of a deficit would you recommend? Depends. Generally, like if you're trying to, you know, gain or lose pound a week, which is generally fine for most people, then about 500 calories different. But you got to know your maintenance, but general difference of 500 calories, more or less, depending on your goals. That usually does the trick. Mm -hmm. um, How important is uh, food quality and in, in, in that as a power lifter? As a power lifter? Forget about it. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You're lifting one rep. You know, you're not running a marathon. You're just lifting one rep. I'd say it doesn't matter hardly at all. In fact, a little something I'll never forget is I was like one of my first powerlifting meets. I, you know, for, like <laughs> I try to bring like the best food possible, like the most healthy food and stuff. And then I see this like super jack dude, all tatted up, bald head, beard, and like he just like he's probably like a hundred and eighty pounds or something. And he just finished squatting, probably like, like over six hundred. And I remember seeing him just like super yoked, wearing just the singlet bottom, so the straps are off. And he's just like holding a cheeseburger in one hand, and he's like eating that right before his bench. I just thought, like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, man, I wonder what that guy's up to now. Eat, have some fruits and vegetables here and there, but like, yeah. not like running a marathon. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Be, 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 be flexible don't freak out about it yeah i mean if you want to lift until you're like 50 you know eat some vegetables too some wheat bread and shit like that i don't really fuck with that. I, eat yeah. Pizza. Yeah. I think that like obviously i'll because some people might like you know i i think it is obviously it's always important to eat for fruits, fruits vegetables whole grains and what, whatnot but yeah. especially if you're like massing if you're somebody like me because of who has a stomach that is that big I have to eat like cereal and Reese's and stuff like that. And if I do want to go away and drink like my, and drink milkshakes and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Jagger asked me uh, earlier, earlier this week, Adam, when was the last time you had, you had a milkshake? And I was like, well, <laughs> three, three days ago. But like, that's because Jagger knows that like, I don't have any issue maintaining my, my, my body weight and or even losing, you know, I, I, I don't think about it and I, then I'll do that. It's just because that's how my appetite is regulated. Um, so if you have to go and you do have to eat more of that shitty food, it's not a big deal. You're trying to get gas. You're trying to lift, lift, yeah. lift, lift what heavier weights. Yeah. Like yeah. you're not trying to like be like this. It's like a side note. If you want to be healthy, don't power lift. <laughs> don't power lift. Just That's don't fucking true. Lift. That is like, true. 
being hyper like like, like being hyper caloric is actually not good for your health <laughs> yeah. like it's not like your blood markers will actually not be as good in a calorie surplus as they are around maintenance or in a deficit so realize that your goal is not to be optimally healthy obviously if you want to be able to live for a while then like yeah eat a vegetable yeah eat your fucking vegetables exactly. like, like <laughs> yeah anyways i think we'd be the horse to death yeah. um strength uh yeah. nutrition because yeah. i i've heard a lot of people when i say is i'll tell you what i usually recommend um and if you disagree with this let, let, let me know i always tell them we're going to eat at maintenance because we don't want our leverages changing and because if you're in a surplus you're going to be changing your body leverages and maintenance calories are by debt are by definition enough to maintain your muscle and to have your nervous system fire or maybe like a tiny calorie surplus like maintenance to a tiny calorie surplus which to be honest it's kind of hard to tell the difference between yeah totally totally um yeah i agree with that but sometimes you know when you gain weight your leverages get better <laughs> and that's why like some really fat powerlifters are strong as shit like that guy's super fat how's he so strong i mean it's just how like having a thick waist like helps you squat more i can't explain it it, you, it just happens that's why my squat sucks because my waist is so tiny i don't know but, but you're five five hundreds yeah but someone who's 220 and compared to my other list my squat always sucked anyways now i'm mad about that <laughs> um yeah so and you know i've also found that, like the worse i eat the stronger like the next session is so like i just pick out, yeah i like pick out on burgers or pizza and all kinds of shit like donuts and i just feel like the next session i just have unlimited strength like i'm invincible but that's probably placebo or it's just like the extra calories they feel yeah. good the grease lubes up the joints you just get moving i don't know maybe um but yeah generally like maintaining not sponsored by mcdonald's but mcdonald's <laughs> not sponsored us, so you would not say no <laughs> Straight up, like chocolate shake from McDonald's, like you're gonna Dude. add twenty pounds to next lift, whatever the lift is. You're gonna add twenty pounds. Yeah. But um yeah, strength phases, maintaining your uh, body weight serves that importance of just um having like a maintenance phase or sensitizing your body and taking like a diet break if you've been dieting or if you've been uh, gaining. Um but yeah, I always tell them maintain or gain during strength phases uh, if you're close to but also depends on like their body weight if they're close to like preparing for a competition and they're already pretty um overweight then i would say you really want to try your best to maintain and stop gaining weight um but yeah maintain or gain so with uh so basically the main main takeaways for that if you're in a strength phase um it had, you basically need to de determine how close am i to my weight class cap yeah um will i be stronger do i, do I feel very do i feel really really strong on this current body weight with my current leverages is my training good if, if you're checking off all those, those, those boxes then 
maintain if you feel like you could actually gain a little bit of more muscle with strength it's not like the volumes are too low it's just that it's not going to be as optimal as like hypertrophy but it's still good um especially with, with your programs like your programs like oh scary um but if you if you can benefit from a, a surplus then still do gain gain weight um if, if you need to just a needs analysis and again you're going to hear a lot of us say it depends because and just because a lot of this will just depend upon the athlete and that's where right coaching comes in um cool uh, i had a few even uh, almost been on for an hour so i'll wrap it wrap it up um guys that i can't believe so i want to get through to two big questions before we go so deloads yes do them why how <laughs> when because your training should be so hard that you need a break and you should do it when when your training gets really hard <laughs> and after that you should do it no. um <laughs> so depends I'd like, on i like to be abstract here <laughs> depends on your training program a lot of times you know they start off easy and they get harder and harder and harder and then you need to take it back notch rest the body recover and get ready to do it all over again i found that um, to be the best for more beginners they can spend more time doing hard training for more advanced athletes and stronger um deload more frequently because those heavy loads and the volumes that you're able to do when you're advanced um they will take a toll on your body so you'll need to deload more often um yeah and you know what you should look forward to a deload deload should be a blessing you should earn that deload you should be looking forward to it sometimes when i'm making a program um i it's i'm kind of like looking like at the whole thing and having that deload be like their saving grace. So I want to like really just hurt them in that last week before the deload. Uh, yeah. I'm a, I'm on a week four coming up and I'm, uh, I'm scared. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, so I'm, gonna, I'm already, I'm already very sore and fatigued and I'm going to die. Yeah. You should be able to squeeze out one more week and then you should. Then oh yeah, I know. Um, how often, so you said a beginners can train for, for longer intermediates, a little less advanced. How, um, if you're a beginner, how long should you, you train before taking a deload? Um, so if you're like picking up weights for like the first time, or you've been lifting for like less than six months, I'd say, I mean, damn near a year or two before you need a deload. Um, nah, just kidding. Kind of, but maybe like four to six weeks of some good structured hard training that just gets harder each week and then you'll need a deload after that um, for more advanced athletes more like three or four weeks of hard training and then a deload after that how would you uh would you structure a deload, a deload week how harsh should it be how long should it be for um, should you change exercises? Mm -hmm. So I like, um, the way I do it is about half 50% of the sets they did in that last week and about 70% of the weight they did 
that is just like a hypertrophy of strength. Um, I like to keep reps about the, about the same. Sometimes I've heard of deloads, you know, cutting the reps in half as well, which I mean, is fine, but I feel like that's a little excessive, especially in um, strength phases. Cause then you only do like two or three reps for like one or two sets. And I just feel like it's just like you can do more and still recover just fine. Um, the duration about a week is good. It's rarely longer, but you know, sometimes maybe longer, um, sometimes shorter for more um, novice athletes. I think you could probably get away with more like five day deload or so switching exercises. You can, I, yeah, I feel like you totally could. You could swap out like, barbell exercises for like something more easy like with dumbbells swapping dumbbells with machines machines with cables i mean you i feel like yeah you can totally like swap it out um no biggie you want to still like kind of do like compound exercises though so like i guess if you want to swap out like a barbell deadlift with you know deadlifting with dumbbells like like all right yeah sure why not um, you're still doing a hip hinge movement and bending at the knees as well. So, I mean, checks out in my book, but if you're like swapping out like a barbell deadlift with like hamstring curls, it's like, well, that's yeah. really not the same at all. So you want to keep it similar in that regard, but yeah, I feel like you've totally swap out exercise and that wouldn't be a problem. It's just to deload anyway. So it's just active rest recovery. Um, shit. Yeah. Take a whole week off if you want, not as good, but Sure. I think that a lot of a lot of uh, athletes will get uh, anxious about taking deloads, um, or they'll think, "Crap, I like I have to deload. I'm going to like get fat or like lose all my gains or like I don't feel like I need I need to, to deload." If you're feeling any of those ways, especially the I don't feel like I need to do deload, you need to train hard. Your training is not overloading enough. You have not induced enough of a stress to earn that that deload like jagger said you earn your deloads and you train hard and then you back off um and a one week of training is just going to help you plus be before you de you deload um you should have functionally overreached jagger can you describe what functional overreaching is and why when you're de de deloading is i i'm sure that, that you you've heard this and i i personally don't fully uh, agree, agree with it i i've heard Deloading is taking two steps back for like three steps forward or like two steps back for like two steps forward, whatever. Like I feel like it should really only be pushing you forward because of the functional overreaching effect. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So you kind of get like what's called like super compensation. So you could look at it like maybe like a bow and arrow. So when you functionally overreach, you stretch that thing back super far. And then when you let it go, that's the deload and you're able to make progress, right? So like a functional overreaching phase is like a week long um, micro cycle of structured training. That's just super hard and your body just can't recover within a week. You need like two weeks. And so you hit it hard and you dip down and then you use that deload week to just skyrocket your recovery and adaptations. So when people say like, they feel like they're not making any gains in the deload. Well, if your training was structured well enough, it's quite the opposite. You're making the most gains during that deload. 
So, um, I mean, it all comes down to what you did prior to that deload. So, by the end of your deload week, you should feel oh man, like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to, to, to train. And at the beginning, you should be like, I don't want to touch weights. I don't want to see weights. I don't want to hear weights. <laughs> Hearing the word weights should freak you out. Yep. Um, but no, that's all part of, of the process. Um, so cool. I'm glad that we're on the, the, the same page about, about that because don't get anxious about deals. Realize they are part of, of the process. They'll make you better. If you fail to deload, you're digging yourself through basically a grave for making your progress harder. You, I, I think that the worst thing that can possibly happen is you don't take your deloads. You're so fatigued and you're working harder for less progress. We don't want that. You want to make the best progress that you possibly can. And deloads are a way to make sure that you, that you do that. Um, also Jagger, how often should you, should you train? per week, how do you determine how a training free frequency and spreading out volume over a training week for an athlete? Right. Um, so the less experienced you are, the less frequently you need to train to make gains. But more is usually better up to maybe like six days a week. So like novice, I mean, you can train twice a week, you know, Train on Monday, rest a few days, train again on Thursday or Friday. You could make some decent gains. Now your split would have to be basically full body on each training session. And then if you're training like six days a week, you can do, you know, chest day, back day, leg day, chest day, back day, leg day, split it up like that. Um, I think what's worked best for people is like four or five days a week training, um, especially with powerlifting. I mean, you definitely need time to recover and you really don't need to train every day, twice a day. I mean, you just don't, you're, I mean, a lot of people will like over glorify powerlifting and to be like this insane sport that requires like immense mental focus and like you need to dedicate your life to this shit when really four or five days a week one to two hours a day a really great power lifter so doesn't so doesn't uh, marisa inda she, she just trains four days a week yeah she's one of the best yeah perfect, perfect example um that's something that concerns me sometimes when I get when I get clients who are so set on a six day a week split, especially when I'm like writing custom programs. And you know, so I get I get the intake form. I have to do it for them. If they're like, I want to train six days a week, and they're like a novice, I'm like, okay. It's like all right. I'm like, okay, cool. So or like in like a strength phase, like with Jagger's saying about like the four or five days, I found that super super important because. Like really, you you honestly only need four days. Like I I genuinely believe that you only need four days as a powerlifter to get stronger. Because if I'm training, if I'm programming something for five six days a week, those two days are like accessory days, like light fluffy arm work, like feel like like get a pump, feel like a bodybuilder, you know, which like you know go and have some fun with with, with your friends, which is totally fine. But I don't think that I think the best 
analogy that I, I can give or say is don't train just for the sake of training, train for the sake of getting better and for getting stronger and realize that more training is good up to a point. But then if you're doing too much, you're just working too hard for not enough in return. I agree. Um, how frequently should uh, you train your each lift per week in a strength phase versus peak versus hypertrophy? Yeah, most people bench and deadlift. Yeah, most people squatting twice a week, benching twice a week, and deadlifting twice a week is good. So it'd be like one session is heavy, and the other session is light to moderate. Now, if you're doing a peak, it's a little different. I like to up it to three times a week on each exercise um, because it's more practice with um, the lift, dialing technique, and those can be heavy, moderate, light days. Um, and so what else is there? There's something else I wanted to say, but I forgot. Um, oh, yeah. So if, like, a novice athlete, they can bench, I mean, three – maybe even four times a week just because it's a smaller muscle group for them. They can recover like the next day. So they can bench more frequently squat. Usually two, sometimes three times a week Deadlift almost always twice a week. Uh, it just depends on how strong they are. Um, yeah. Those major muscle groups are going to need a longer time to recover. So you need to kind of decrease the frequency but like benching, you know, three times a week. I've done three times a week in like hypertrophy and strength. And I felt that was okay. And that was when I was pretty intermediate. So, hmm. um, I mean, it depends on the person too, you know, how well they recover from training as well. Um, uh, you want to yeah. squat every Some day? We'll take a, we'll take a lot of damage from certain lifts and other people will, will, will not like, um, like I'm like I'm a weird one, um, where I can just like I honestly don't feel as messed up from deadlifts as I just I do from from squat. Yeah, I I do squats and like I can just do like like five sets sets of squat. I see that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm to die here. Whereas like deadlift, it's like I can do like five sets. I'm like, okay, I feel fine. So yeah. a lot of this is going to have to do with leverages, with fiber type. Um, basically, um, it, the more and like obviously like how stressed out you are outside of the gym, how much sleep that, that you're getting, um, you know, more, more stressors outside of the, of the gym, obviously lower volumes that you can't actually recover and benefit from, um, with leverages, if you have better leverages for one lift, you can probably get away with doing a little bit more volume. Yeah. Uh, if you have worse leverages for one lift, you should probably do a little bit less or, um, altered to that technique via stance, differences um to make it a better lift for for, for you and that's actually a good segue for the last question that i wanted to ask which is um should you squat high bar or low bar or should you deadlift conventional or sumo how would you go about assessing that um if you had an athlete come to to, to you who said jagger i don't know what i should be doing what should I do? Are there any things that you look for on like their skeleton or like how their body seems to compensate at heavy loads? Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on that? I think you should do both. There's a time and place, but I think you should be doing both. Um, they're both great exercises and variations. Um, 
now with powerlifters and mines, you compete and do the exercise that is your strongest. The name of the game is lift the most weight, do the exercise that is the strongest. Now, most of the time, I think when you're training, the high bar squat carries over the best to a low bar, opposed to a low bar carrying over to a high bar squat. And a conventional deadlift carries over more to a sumo deadlift than a sumo deadlift carries over to conventional. So a lot of the time you're gonna be doing the one that you're weaker at. Um, now what I'm looking for, as far as like a deadlifter, if for sumo, if they can open up their hips a lot and open up their legs and keep them open and move up and down, I think they have a potential to be in like a world-class sumo deadlifter. Um, and with um, a conventional, if they got short femurs, I think they can be a and like super long arms. I think they could be a really cool looking uh, conventional deadlifter. Now, if they're about equal, you definitely want to do conventional because it looks cooler and it's just so much more respected. It looks cooler. It just looks cool. I, you I, get time that I come in, I do my sumo, and I like spread out my my legs. I'm like, oh, geez, people are probably looking at like, oh, what's this? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, like me with like conventional, I'm like, I'm pick up weights, men. Strong. Yeah. Like, small, I'm, I'm like technique. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then um with squats, uh, it's kind of uh the same thing, but with um low bar, I feel like there's a more um like a higher uh, potential ceiling with um your absolute strength. <clears throat> most people are stronger when they squat low bar just because the leverages are just better and you use more um, major muscle groups than high bar. High bar is just all quads. And I mean, it's great for building the quads and building a great squat, but like low bar, you're going to use your glutes more and your back more and your quads. So you're just using so many more muscles and I feel like there's so much more potential to get stronger. <clears throat> it's probably going to trigger a lot of, uh, weightlifters because they just strictly squat high bar, but that's more focused for their sport. But um, yeah, I mean, you should be doing both, but you should be competing with whichever one's stronger. If you're stronger with high bar, yeah, I mean, do your competition with high bar, but definitely think about and consider uh, building up your low bar squat because your max ceiling for a high bar squat might be 500 pounds, but your low bar might be 550 once you build it and dial in the technique and all that. So something to think about, but I mean, you should do both. Yeah. So basically training with both stances, um, probably training the, the weaker stance a little bit more f frequently than your strong stance um, to improve those weaker muscle groups because that's why it, it's weaker. Um, and then once you get closer to comp competition, you should probably train you, whatever competition stance you're stronger, you're strongest with more frequently. And ultimately the coach can make recommendations, but you have to determine for yourself what feels best and what you can progress most consistently with. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I can say that for myself, um, I'm strong with both conventional and with sumo. Yeah. Um, and if you look at me, I'm kind of weird where like, it looks like it doesn't look like I should be like 
strong at sumo or like as strong at like conventional as I really am. Like I, it's like, I could really choose whatever stance that I, I do want. And the reason why I choose sumo is just because I can get in a better position with heavy weights. Um, yeah. And with high bar versus low bar, first off, I haven't really trained low bar like really ever, but I know for myself looking at how I compensate with heavy loads, especially with, with, with high bar and just how much stronger that my, my back is relative to, to my quads. Like, uh, you know, in my meet, I hit 424 because my quads were just too weak. They just give out, they did gave out when I try to go 4435. Whereas I think that if I learned the technique for low bar, um, I would have been able to probably get 4435 pretty, pretty well. Um, and I know a lot of people want to hear like there's this magical answer of like, this is what you should, should do. And, th and th this is why, um, well, use what Jagger said about, you know, femur length arms, stuff like that. Um, how strong your outs of muscle groups, groups are to make an informed potential decision, but don't be afraid to be like, okay, well, this actually feels better for me and I can get a better position and make better progress with this. I think that's something a lot of people don't, um, pay enough attention to is what can you progress with best because you might be like oh this this feels good too if like it's like let's say you know both stances you feel, feel great you know you, you're weird you like high bar just as much as you like low bar and you like sumo just as much as you like conventional you should probably choose which one you can progress that best with and that's why jagger's saying always train both of them is what i'm uh, assuming yes right. yep absolutely all right, uh, last last uh, question: Is sumo cheating? No, it's not cheating. There I said it. It's not cheating. Maybe I'm biased because my best deadlifts have been sumo. That's probably I'm biased. That's probably it. <laughs> That's probably it. All right. Well, I think that that's, uh, we, we talked about lots of good stuff. Um, I wanted to thank Jagger for his, his time. Um, if you guys are interested in, are you taking clients right now? Um, only if they're serious and they have some experience. Yeah. Cool. So if you are decently jacked, decently strong, you know what you're, you're doing. Um, reach out to Jagger for coaching. I'll have your social media. Uh, Instagram, shoot him a DM or uh, which one? Which one works best? DM or email? DM is, DM is just fine. DM him. Uh, see about his coaching. Um, and uh, yeah, I would thank you so much for uh, tuning in, guys. And uh, catch you later. See ya.